0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right. Thank you so much, Bethany. Um, All right. Well, I'm excited to be here. Bethany said my name is Dave. Um, Kate, my wife, is in the back. And um, this is our family. Um, We live in, in Nicaragua. If you don't know where that is, that's fine. Um but it's it's right in the middle of it's right in the center of Central America. It's kind of where it is. And this is our family here. Um I made this slide a while back and uh I put two pictures of our family here because then I was gonna ask Kate which one she liked better and then I forgot. <laughs> and then it just kind of there's there. So we two pictures of our family, you can just look at whichever one you want. Um these are our kids. We have four kids. Uh Cohen is our oldest, he's thirteen. And then Titus, Lando, and Naya, all the way down to Naya, who's six, and she'll be seven in July. Um, we are excited. We're excited to, to finally be here. Um, we live in Nicaragua. I'm going to kind of stand over here so I can move these slides every now and then. Nicaragua is um, a land of a lot of water. Lakes and volcanoes is kind of what it's, uh, what it's known for. Um, it's a beautiful place. A little over six million people. Um, people are tough, they're resilient, they've been through some really really tough things over the last uh, century or so, um, kind of just a, uh, a broken almost generation, generational cycle of um, natural disasters uh, and then um, tough leaders, dictators, um, different governments, um, taking advantage of the people. Um, but it's a place we love. Uh, it's hot and it's humid. Um, we left two weeks ago and it's kind of weird. Nicaragua feels really far away from right here in this moment. Um, I never wear clothes like this in Nicaragua. Um, but we love it. It's, it's not always an easy place uh, to live, but it's it's what God has called us to and, and has made home for us. Um, It's hot, it's humid all the time, there aren't a lot of, um, oops, (laughs) so the power grid is still really expensive, so houses are made to live indoor, outdoor, um, which is awesome, it's a great way to live, and um, also it means outside things come in. So these are just a few pictures that we've taken over the years around our house, basically, different critters that come in and out. Um, we had a cool monkey for a while um, that lived with us, best friends with our, with our boxer dog there. Um, the fish picture isn't in our house, it was out on the street, but I thought it was just kind of a cool thing. If you, if you see a fish, a tasty fish on the side of the road, but you don't want it to be in your car, you just tie it, tie it to the back um, and, and, and that works. Um, Kate and I left um, California about 11 years ago. And um, after a couple of short-term mission trips um, in Nicaragua and continuing back and leading some short-term teams, God really um, compelled our family to move there. He really kind of broke our hearts for the gospel. And um, after several months of language school, we moved to Nicaragua. And I interned at several different local ministries. And one of those places was at ESFO, where I met this big old... um, teddy bear blacksmith named uh, Mike Divert that uh, some of you guys may know um, and so God really connected us with the Divert family um, and it was just a great partnership with some of my background and gifts and abilities that God um, has given me and experience that I had. Um, it just made sense to partner with uh, Mike and Lauren at uh, ESFO. You can see our sign up there in the top left. Um, and that's really what our what became kind of our connection with you guys here at, at Cathedral was was through the Divers who obviously are are from here. And so we worked side by side with them for quite a few years until they moved uh, transitioned back here about four years ago, and and then Kate and I took over as kind of the leaders and directors of the vocational school. Um, Esvo is just a, a Spanish acronym for Escuela Vocacional, which it just means vocational school, and it's a uh skill training, it's a vocational discipleship school, essentially, um, and it is just what its uh, name describes. Um, we have about 230 high school students who come through on a weekly basis um, and receive training in, in different skills. And then we also have uh, about a half a dozen long-term apprentices who are apprenticing under our teachers. Um, it's just kind of a, a model of always being discipled by someone and then discipling someone else. Um, so our uh, long-term teachers, or our teachers are teaching uh, on a daily basis our long-term apprentices, and then the apprentices are TAing with the, with the teachers to teach the high school students. Um, we have carpentry, um, blacksmithing, uh, automotive mechanics, and a lot of soft, softer classes, culinary arts, um, industrial sewing, and things like that. Um, in in ministry, especially in missions overseas, I mean, everything you do really is a a vehicle for for relationship, for discipleship, and then eventually for for community. Um, and that's that's kind of how how we see things. And we've just been blessed to be involved in um, to have a vehicle for missions that is vocational training, um, because it's allowed us to. Um, interact and minister to people in a holistic way—not just just spiritually, emotionally, mentally, but also physically. Teaching them a skill um, that uh, can potentially change their life—you know, much-needed skill that and can uh, impact them and their families in in really a, a practical way. So that's kind of SVO a little bit in a in a nutshell um, what we do. Um, God has continued um, to impress on on. Kate and I, kind of this, this vision for vocational ministry, essentially. Um, understanding work and vocation as, as God intended it to be, as a gift and as a blessing and not a curse. Um, we believe that uh, when he created Adam and Eve, one of the first gifts that God gave Adam and Eve, essentially, was the gift of vocation and work and purpose. And he said, go, you know, go tend to my garden. Um, he made them the, the namers of all the animals. Um, and so we, we think there's something beautiful in that, um, that God means for us to find significance and, and calling and meaning um, in our work, essentially. And so being in a, a really tough place where many kind of pillars of healthy society is broken down in Nicaragua, um, we've seen that as really kind of an essential part of church discipleship there, is seeing work and vocation valued um, in a way that gives young people a chance to um, use their skills to glorify God and to make money and support their families, be able to help their neighbors, and kind of be a, a, a healthy part of Shalom community that God intends for us. Um, it's not easy growing up uh, in poverty and around Nicaragua, a lot of generational poverty. Um, a lot of our young men, high school students and apprentices who come in, have uh, been in, um, they've grown up in, in tough communities, really tough communities, um, Grown up with scarcity. And so growing up in poverty and with scarcity, um, does a lot of things to you, but it can really leave you with a a lack of um, developed um, critical thinking skills, problem-solving skills, thinking in process. Um, Growing up with scarcity leaves you with a real lack of ability to manage excess of any kind. Um, And I think maybe just a story that always grabs me. We had an apprentice years ago named Walter, and um, he grew up in in a really tough situation. Uh, he was a product of rape and um, he was such a, a terrible memory for his mom that, that when he was born she, she gave him to her aunt and uncle. And and so he was raised by his great aunt and uncle um, a couple blocks away from his mom. And so he kind of watched her raise his half brothers and sisters who came along. And and he never knew his dad, his dad was never in the picture, but he was always wanting his mom's approval desperately. Uh, and he grew up with, with very, very little. and. Uh, we connected with him, and he came into the shop. I remember his first day, um, we have coffee. It's in Nicaragua. Everybody drinks coffee all day long uh, with copious amounts of sugar. And um, so we have we have coffee in the break room, and, and you can get coffee anytime. And he was so suspicious of that his first day. It was like, I can just get coffee anytime. And so he kind of like suspiciously drank a cup of coffee throughout the day. Um, and then he came the next day, and he drank like... 70 cups of coffee (laughs) and he ate all the sugar and drank all the milk out of the fridge Um, but you could just see that he 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 really didn't as a 16 year old have the capacity to manage excess of coffee the ability to to just have it be there and not want to grab it and take it all because it probably won't be there tomorrow Um, so it's just a picture of what kids in poverty are facing that's a kind of a brief overview of um, how we, how we teach at ESFO, how we minister at ESFO, um, we've had multiple success stories over the years, um, many, many failures, um, but we've learned that um, we're to be obedient to God with what He's called us in, and then He's the one who provides the increase. Um, another kind of awesome thing about working in vocational ministries has allowed us to cross over into other uh, local ministries and churches and things that are happening because We're teaching our apprentices how to create things and build things, and so you end up doing projects and jobs for other ministries. Um, And through that, we connected with an awesome couple named Carlos and uh, Mabel. Um, And Carlos is, in the last several years, uh, came on board with us. us. They're they're pastors. They pastor a small church in a really tough community where we've received some apprentices, and uh, we've partnered with them in different things over the years. But um, he's came on and became kind of our beloved chaplain at the the shop, and so he teaches... um, uh, together with me, sometimes some uh, a, a, a discipleship classes. Um, and and this year we've connected and became licensed through um, Jobs for Life, which is just an incredible ministry um, based here in the States. I think I'm pretty sure there's some people in Birmingham doing jobs for life. Awesome stuff. Um, we have some friends in Costa Rica who translated into Spanish and and we've became kind of licensed with Jobs for Life and, and are this their second Latin American site. And so this year we've been through half the course. Already, and it's just been incredible—an incredible tool for um, showing showing our apprentices, showing people, you know, what what God's intent and design was for um, for work. So we're very, very, very excited about that and in, in the future of what of what God God has. Um, just kind of a snapshot of us and what we do. Um, everything was progressing nicely with vocational training. We we're becoming certified with the government. Um, Lots of doors opening up within the, um, within the business community for placing our guys. And then last April, just um, some simmering discontent um, that had been pressure rising and rising for the last decade really just blew up. And everything changed for us in April of 2018. Um, the people kind of rose up and began demonstrating in the street. Because of a lot of things, um, a lot of injustices that were happening, an increasingly repressive government, and um, it turned into, it really spilled into the streets, just violence in the streets. Um, so it was a very violent, about three months last summer, um, essentially the, the government, the police c- killed over three, well over 300 citizens, put a lot of people in jail, and it's just been a complete mess. Um, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to stay there. Um, Last August, we had visited the states for a couple of months, and and we went back. We felt God had called us back, Um, and thankfully within the last six months or so, um, there's no more violence in the streets, Um, but the trust between the government and the people has just been seemingly irrevocably broken. Um, So we're not sure. We're not sure what the future holds. Um, There's no more violence in the streets, and things are a, a little more predictable for us on a day-to-day basis and even a weekly basis but it's really hard to project beyond a week or so in terms of planning um, and so we felt God kind of keeping us in this cycle over the last year of just really pulling back and pouring into the relationships that we already have with our teachers with our apprentices and our students and it's been a, a sweet sweet time um, however we would really like to plan for the future um, and so we're kind of in a holding pattern a little bit right now with ESFO and with the school and ministry and um, it's kind of stable right now but the economy has went from a year ago being the fastest growing economy in Latin America or in Central America at least um, to now just um, losing 10 points and being in a in a deep recession Um, so we're praying a lot about that it feels like God has um, prepared Kate and I um, over the last I don't know several years um, to go through some hard things um, we, does, we don't really know what the future looks like especially with ESPO but God really doesn't promise us anything but um, His presence and that He's going to be with us and that we're going to be able to have joy um, somehow in the midst of uncertain circumstances it doesn't promise us predictable easy um, or even safe and um, And like I said, it feels like we've had some opportunity to push through that. So that's kind of who we are and what we do in Nicaragua. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about um, an experience that God has taken our family through, um, that we've walked through. A couple of years ago, our our second son, Titus, um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And so I'm going to share a little bit about this. Um, when I talked to Bethany a while back about this, um, it was like a year ago and she said, someday you're going to have to come share this. And and I knew it was far off in the future and so I was okay with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to share some things. I, I've shared a couple of times in, in groups. Um, I'm going to try to share some things that I really haven't shared before with people. Um, I'm hoping not to cry. Um, you should hope that I don't cry Um, I'm a I'm an ugly crier it's not if you've ever seen people that can kind of like have tears going down but they're just they just I don't do that I just it's it could be bad Um, in Nicaragua well in Spanish pena is embarrassment so if I have pena if tengo pena it means like I'm embarrassed about something I don't want to share but pena ajena means you're embarrassed for somebody else, (laughs) because this is bad, and you guys are going to have some pena ena here, I think, but uh, I'm going to try to get through this, it's, for us, it's a story of, of just God's goodness to us, Um, I know that, you know, leaving the States, um, I think that, in general, different cultures, and us as as people, I'm going to generalize a little bit, but... um, when, when we think about God's God's joy and His blessing to us as believers, um, there are t- times I, I want to control that and I want to kind of define that. Um, so when I think of what God's joy and, and blessing to me, I want that to include uh, my safety and my kids' safety, uh, maybe uh, safety, security, comfort. Um, and those are kind of general promises that we read in God's Word that if um, and you follow God's precepts and, and you walk uprightly, that there will be a blessing for that often, but that's general, it isn't specific, um, because there are also a lot of general expectations we can have as believers of suffering. Um, so, this is kind of a story of how um, yeah, we left, and I think that, in general, I, I want to think that as a, as a believer that um, God is going to take care of me and keep me safe and comfortable, And then I think that if if you move into full-time ministry, especially moving away from what's comfortable and into another country, I don't know that I you know, really thought this or said this, but I think I kind of believed that there was going to be kind of an extra hedge of protection around me and my family. Um, And I remember finding out right away, I had read somewhere about a missionary who left and and he thought God was just going to supernaturally protect him and his heart and... um, moving into the mission field, and, and he said moving into missions was just like pouring miracle Grow on all of his sins, and uh, I remember finding out that that's, that's, that's really true. Um, and so, so yeah, we left, and I think that, you know, Kate and I always thought, we, we had parents and family questioning our decision and wanting to know about things like safety and health care, and I, I know we joked at some point, you know, well, it's not like we're going to have brain surgery there. Heart surgery or something like that. You know, we'll we'll come home for that. Um, well, a couple of weeks in a couple of weeks in about ten days is going to mark um, two years. Two years since our son Titus. He's our second since he uh, he fell. He fell at our house and uh, hit his head really hard. Um, so we took him. Nick and I. We don't call the ambulance. I've I've stopped on the side of the road and helped enough ambulances and paramedics to know you don't call them Um, so we threw him in our car and we took him into the emergency room to what's really the best kind of hospital private hospital that that we know of in in Managua and um, I thought you know maybe he had a concussion or something so we walked into the emergency room and um, the attendant was there it was late in the afternoon and kind of the the doctor on call she came in and she said okay she said well, well, let's let's take some X ex- X-rays, and uh, <clears throat> I remember kind of walking out of the room to go to the X-ray room, and I was thinking, I know enough to know that X-rays, like, can we take a CAT scan? So I remember asking her, like, hey, can we can we do a CAT scan? And and this was the ER doctor, and she's like, oh, you want to? And I said, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> is, is it an option? And uh, and she said, well, if you want to, we can do that. And so we did that, and I remember thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be. So I feel like you should be in charge of that, and not, and not me, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember being in the, uh, the emergency room, and and he got some pain meds, and he was feeling a little bit better. Uh, he was saying funny things and repeating himself, but we were feeling okay. Um, his uh, his surgeon, what became his. Um, neurological surgeon. Um, she came in a couple of hours later and um, everything changed. She was incredibly concerned. Um, she kind of pulled me aside and she said, you know, this isn't good. She showed me the CAT scans. She showed me some things and reading CAT scans was kind of like reading ultrasounds for me on our first child. <laughs> doctor was pointing things out and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Titus seemed fine, and I don't think I, I seemed worried enough to her. Um, she, she said, I don't think you understand. This is incredibly serious. So she showed me. Um, Titus had a, a really long fracture on the right side of his head where he'd hit the ground. And so he had a, he had a big fracture and a slight bleed inside of his skull. Um, but that wasn't what was really tough. Um, he'd hit the ground so hard that his, his brain had violently bounced of what you would see in a high-impact high car crash, um, and he'd, he'd hit the other side of his skull so hard that there was three bleeds kind of deep down in his brain, and so she was trying to explain this to me and show me, and, and I was trying to grasp what she was saying, and um, and she said, no, this is serious, and I said, well, like, what happens? What are you worried about? And She said, I, I'm, I'm scared that we are going to have to take him into surgery and operate um, and I said, well, like, like, what does that mean? And she said, well, this is different. know, I found out that um, oftentimes when you have a, um, a contusion or a bleed on your brain, it's, it's on the outside, it's between your skull and your brain, and so it pushes and, and is pushing pressure, but it's kind of easy to drill in and relieve that pressure. Um, but this is more similar to what um, Titus' situation, more similar to maybe like a stroke um, in an older patient where the, the bleeding was deep inside of the brain. And so she told me. She said, "I don't, don't want to go in there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen because that part of your brain, the left temporal lobe, uh, controls everything: speech and vision and motor motor function, motor motor movement." Um, and so, and so I, <laughs> I became very concerned. I didn't share all of that with Kate. Um, I had a friend there who asked her. He said, "Hey, what's on a scale of one to ten? Like, how serious is this?" And she said, "This is a 9 between a 9 or 10 so I'm scared um, so they kind of moved him into um, intensive care and essentially the plan was to continue to take CAT scans every three hours and she told me if those bleeds increase if they grow and they don't start to, to shrink that essentially we're going to have to operate and I have the team ready um, so she set me up in ICU um, again the doctors are good she was great. Um, she's actually the best um, pediatric neurosurgeon in the entire country of Nicaragua. Um, she's also the only pediatric neurosurgeon. <laughs> so it's kind of a... Um, she's incredible. She's, she was, I think, 38 at that time. but She was amazing. Um, but the nur- nurses and other staff, it's, it's just it's a tough thing. So she set me up and she told me, she said, we need to wake him up every 45 minutes to an hour. And you need to check. You need to check his reflexes. You need to check his speech. You need to check everything and make sure that he's physically responding well. doesn't have any deficits. And we're going to take, keep taking CAT scans. Um, so she set me up at night and set me up for the longest night of my entire life. Um, I think that thinking through all these things, these expectations that we have about how God is going to protect us, um, I remember starting that night and, and it just felt like everything was, was closing in. Here we were. We were in this country. Um, we had friends in the states. We had people calling, emailing. I have friends who are surgeons. Do you want to talk to them? And there came a point where it was like, it doesn't matter. Like, we can't leave. We can't put him on a plane. His brain's swelling. Um, and I just, I just felt backed into a corner. So I began to cry out. I began to read the Psalms. I began to cry out to God in his room in, uh, in the, in the ICU. And I'd wake him every 45 minutes, check him and go back to sleep. Throughout the night we began to take... um, I was terrified of surgery after what she'd said and I began to read Google and began to realize that we really don't know how the brain works Um, and that I I didn't want surgery. I was terrified. I was terrified of of how he might come out of surgery. And um, so I began to cry, cry out to God, pray to Him. I was having a hard time surrendering. Titus is our is our son who is a challenger, and probably for the six months before his accident, um, he'd been waking us up at night, bedtime, crying, um, expressing to us his doubts about God. He was having a hard time believing in God, um, and it kind of broke his heart. But he was describing even studying in school different belief systems and and saying, you know, mom, dad, some of these other ways of thinking make more sense to me than Christianity and so he had really been struggling so I had all of this just waiting me down and I remember reading through the Psalms Psalms 139 especially um, and God kind of gave me a picture I guess of Abraham and Isaac of kind of Abraham God asking Abraham to lay Isaac down and put him on the altar and it was kind of a question for me you know do you trust me? Will you, will you surrender Him to me?" I remember struggling with that. Just, again, crying out over and over to God um, for Him. I've always, up until this moment, we've been in ministry and missions, I've always hedged my bets with God a little bit. Like, God, I'm praying for this thing, but Your will be done. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. Um, I've never been in this situation. Where it's your child and it's your heart, you know, living outside of your chest. Um, and that incredibly desperate, you know, for God to move. Um, and so it was kind of a question for me Will you surrender him to me? And there was a moment where I remember speaking to God and saying, Okay, God, I will, I will lay him down. I will give him to you. I will surrender my son to you. And somehow, some way, I don't know how. But somehow, some way, if the worst happens in the future, I will declare your name to be great. Um, and I got up and I, I remember walking over to Titus and I, I laid hands on him and and I still had these doubts about what Titus had been feeling. And I remember asking God, I said, God, I have to know. I'll surrender him to you. I don't know how. I will talk to Kate about this. I don't know how we'll survive, you know, if the worst happens, but I have to know. If he's yours. Um, And probably for the only time in my life, God spoke to me in that room um, as if he was standing there. He said, He's mine. Titus is mine. And I remember just collapsing on that room. Um, That was about 3 o'clock in the morning for the next couple of hours before other people came. I remember experiencing just a a time of complete sweet surrender as God just took uh, a weight off of me and, and in a way, just experiencing the kingdom of God and understanding that it really didn't matter. That God's presence being with me was enough. God's presence with Titus was enough. No matter what happened, God's presence um, was enough. Kate came in the next morning. Um, she'd been walking the halls. The CAT scans kept Coming back, and the and the bleed just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, His neurosurgeon couldn't understand why he wasn't showing um, physiological deficits, um, but she just kept becoming concerned. And Kay had been walking the halls, um, praying, talking to God. And she reached the, the end of a hallway, and there was just a picture of a of a scene in the water. Um, and as she was standing there praying, looking at this picture, God spoke to her as audibly as He spoke to me in that room. And he said, you will baptize your son. And we both kind of kept those kind of close to our hearts. Um, We took another CAT scan at about 9 a.m. And without even talking to me, she immediately called the surgical team, OR. The bleed was growing. They had to go into surgery. Um, And so really the... The next 12 hours that stretched on until two years is just a picture of God's goodness to Titus. Um, Titus went into a, about a nine hour surgery. She went deep into his uh, left temporal lobe to remove the bleeds. Um, Titus went into anaphylactic shock. He reacted um, strongly to uh, one of the antibi- antibiotics before anesthesia and immediately uh, almost coded and she got adrenaline into him had to bring in um, another surgeon to put in a heart catheter Um, nine hours of surgery and was successful she told us she had no idea what to expect after that much trauma to his brain Um, she gave us an entire list of things to expect um, from he might be in a a coma and be asleep for days weeks um, might take him a while to walk, might take him a while to talk, to move his arms. Um, We don't know, he might have vision, eyesight problems, on and on and on and on. Um, About two hours, I think, after surgery, um, Titus woke up. I remember walking into his room with Kate as they brought us in there and he was all swelled up from his allergic reaction and um, Kate started singing to him kind of a praise song that she sang to all of our kids. And I remember his eyes fluttering open and rolling around and looking for his mom. Um, from that time on, Titus has made just a miraculous recovery. Um, he started walking about two days after. Um, his surgeon would bring in the surgical team and their faces was just incredible. Um, it might not surprise you, not a lot of people are flocking to Nicaragua for their brain surgeries. Um... <laughs> his his surgeon still calls him the miracle boy Um, about two weeks after surgery we took him home and um, we still have all of his pain meds he's never once asked for um, pain meds for a headache Um, and so it's just been an incredible story this picture on the left is um, Kate and she's uh, kissing him goodbye before he went into surgery. Um, we just didn't know. And I love that picture. It's just a reminder of us of just kind of surrender. Um, and that's Titus in the middle. I think it's the second day after surgery, reading a, a note. Um, and then him walking for the first time. And then him with his surgeon um, a couple of months later. And she finally got him to give her a, a kiss. A kiss on the cheek. Um, It's hard to describe. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't exactly understand why God chose to show um, grace and goodness and healing to Titus. We have very, very close friends in Nicaragua um, whose daughter was killed when uh, she was laying in a hammock in a tree. The hammock was tied to um, broke and fell on her and killed her. We're close to them. And it's been hard i don't I don't understand why God has chosen to show goodness to Titus um, but I remember that couple of hours um, that night before surgery, and I guess experiencing his kingdom in such a way I, I do believe um, that I had a glimpse of what we're going to feel and understand in the future that when the fullness of, of god's kingdom is here um, I want my son here. I'm so thankful he's here. Um, but we're going to understand that um, we almost have our priorities flipped. We try so hard to stay here and be here and cling so hard to this life. Um, but to live as Christ and, and to die is, is truly gain. Um, so we've struggled with this. Um, Titus is doing awesome two years later um, he's our kid who loves to run and jump and play and we're incredibly grateful to God that he can he can still do that um, he's doing really well um, his parents are still pretty messed up <laughs> um, I think that I've learned that God wants to just keep shining shining his light in dark places and that that includes you know, my heart um, and my, my understanding of Him. Kind of to close today and then maybe we can take some questions. I do, I do want to read Psalms 139, 1-16 through 16, um, because what we've learned is um, that it is God's presence. God's God's blessing and the joy that He promises, promises us specifically every single one of us is His presence. Um, it's His presence no matter what we're going through and in, in, it's actually in the hard times that that, that that God's presence um, just becomes so much near uh, and so much more meaningful. And so I want to read Psalms 139. Um, because this is what I was I was praying um, over and over again that night. So I'll put it up here. So it just says this, "O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Um, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar." If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works My soul knows it very well My frame was not hidden from you When I was being made in secret Intricately woven In the depths of the earth Your eyes saw my unformed sus- substance In your book were written Every one of them The days that were formed for me When as yet there was none of them So Kay and I kind of held God's promises to us um, Closely We didn't really share them with anyone but ourselves um, and about two months after Titus's accident, he came to us and he said, "Mom and Dad, I want to be baptized." And um, it was pretty special because uh, the DiBerts actually came and visited us um, several months after Titus's accident, and uh, their boys wanted to be baptized in Nicaragua. And and so I went from in June, um, 2017. It was definitely probably the worst, longest night of my life. Um, to probably the best the best day of my life Um, having the opportunity to baptize my sons um, and having the opportunity to baptize Titus Um, something broke with him Um, God called him close during that experience Titus doesn't remember the accident he doesn't remember a lot of the surgery the surgery doesn't remember a lot of the hospital but something has changed in him Um, and God has has kind of shared with Kate especially that um, this story isn't just for us, it's for Titus as well. Um, so we're, we're excited. We're excited to um, live and serve in Nicaragua. We're thankful to, um, to you guys here at Cathedral Church of the Advent for supporting us and loving us. So many of you praying for us through um, this time and this situation, and this this tough time. Um, but we're, we truly consider it a joy um, to surrender to God um, Surrender our kids to Him, surrender ourselves to Him, um, and to live live and serve where where He has called us. So thank you guys very much. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.